The scripture for today's sermon comes from Acts 18, 4 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is God's word to us. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome. If you're a, a visitor, uh, I just want to say welcome. We're really grateful that you're here. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I just want to double down on what I said last week. Um, man, this is a safe place for you. Uh, this is a place where you can bring your questions and your objections. Uh, we would love to get to know you uh, and process some of that with you. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name's Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it feels important to name that I was born just a few miles outside of Kansas City. Uh, and, 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 and why that's important uh, to name this morning is that earlier this week, uh, uh, Chad and Jeff sat me down and they said, listen, we're really excited for you to preach, but if you're going to preach on Super Bowl Sunday, you're not allowed to talk about the Chiefs. And I said, I get it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about how this is the fourth Super Bowl in five years that they've been to. I, I, I'm not going to talk about their future Hall of Fame quarterback or their future Hall of Fame tight end or his girlfriend. Okay, I, I'm not going to use the words budding dynasty. Um, I, I'm not going to talk about anything back to back. That's, we're not doing that this morning. So I, I just want to make that really clear to all of you. That's where we are this morning. So uh, with all of that out of the way, let's get to work, shall we? It was about five years ago that uh, a group of us met downtown at Frontline Downtown in the Den, and we met to talk about what would it look like to plant Frontline Yukon. And uh, Chad led us through that time. Some of you were in the room that day, and he used this graphic, and, and he talked about uh, false summits. Right? These, these moments when you're climbing a mountain or when you're on a journey and you feel like you get to the end of it and then you stand there and you look around and realize, oh man, there's still more to come. Right? And he was talking about false summits as it, as it pertains to uh, church planting. Right? It can be really easy, okay, now we're meeting on a Sunday morning, we've arrived, we're a real church. Right? Okay, now we have our own building, we've arrived, we're a real church. And then we realize, man, there is still a ton of work to do. This morning, I want to take that same image, but I want to look at it from a different angle. I want to look at it um, from the angle of like, what does it look like to keep pressing forward when we can't even make it to the false summits? 
right? When, when your hands are on your knees and your lungs are burning and your calves are shaking and you're looking down at the, at the bottom of the mountain and you're looking up and you're trying to figure out, am I still on the path? All of a sudden, these voices start to speak in your head like, man, uh, I don't think it's supposed to be this hard. I think maybe you're doing something wrong. I think maybe you took a wrong turn, right? And, and then there's a, a temptation to quit that's, that's overwhelming, right? It's disorienting, and it's, and it's hard to overcome. See, the last several weeks, we've been talking about mission. We've been talking about specifically Frontline's mission statement, which is where we want to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. And this morning... I want to talk about specifically the challenges of mission. Because sometimes we find ourselves gasping for air. Right? So sometimes we find ourselves overwhelmed by the job that's in front of us. And sometimes we just simply want to quit. So we're going to walk through Acts 18. And, and hopefully, by the end of our time, we have an, an answer to these four questions. The first is, what mission has God called us to? The second is, why does it feel so hard? The third is, who is, a is sustaining you along the way? And the fourth is, how do we respond to adversity? I would love for you to pray with me. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we invite you. We invite your spirit to interrupt us, to disrupt us, to, to let us hear this word afresh. Spirit of God, I, I, ask, I ask that you would allow me to communicate clearly. I ask that you would open the hearts of my brothers and sisters here in the room. Open the ears of, of my brothers and sisters here in the room and, and let, us, let us leave here with a, a clearer uh, picture of what your mission is and a deeper burden for what you're doing here on this world. So Father, we ask all of these things. We love you and we thank you for this time, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's start out by just talking about what is happening in Acts chapter 18, because I think there's some, some context and some setting that you need to understand before we move forward. We have Paul, right? Paul, who was once Saul, and Paul is one of the greatest missionaries to ever walk this earth, and yet he was formerly a, a man who was actually persecuting Christians, who was hunting down Christians, wanting to get them imprisoned, wanting to murder them. And, and, and God intercepted his path, changed his heart, made him a man who, who was following after him. And in the midst of that, he also changed his name to Paul. So where we find Paul here, he's been traveling around what, what's current day Syria and Turkey and Greece. And he's been traveling around uh, doing mission work for nearly a decade. And, and not unlike uh, our conversation last week about Gladys Aylward, Paul has been um, doing much of this unplanned, right? The Holy Spirit has been leading him, has been leading his brothers and his sisters all throughout the Middle East, uh, proclaiming that Christ is Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised in Acts chapter 18 
when we find that Paul is working as a tent maker. Right? He's working alongside his, his dear friends, Aquila and Priscilla, and he's doing this trade, right? this trade of tent making, specifically um, because he probably wants to put food in his belly. Right? So he's spending his, his weekdays doing this trade, working with his hands, but then he's spending his Sabbath at the synagogue, and it says that he's persuading the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul is staying with his friends when Silas and Timothy finally arrive to Corinth, and they find that he's been engaging with the Jewish community there. And at this point, Paul is understandably really frustrated because he can't seem to get through to the Jews. And I think that this is a moment we just need to stop and, and pause and reflect on the fact that God chose this man that God interrupted him and called him to be, like I said, maybe the greatest missionary that we've ever seen who wrote uh, so much of the New Testament. And this man is encountering frustration and opposition and difficulty in Corinth. So, so what he does uh, in, in a fairly dramatic way, he says, your blood is on your head. And he leaves and he says, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna teach the Gentiles. And so he goes and he stays with another friend, Titius. Okay, I think it's, again, we should like recognize how connected this guy was. I, it probably had to do with the fact that he had uh, no consistent salary. He had no consistent roof over his head. And so he had to rely on the people in the different places he went to care for him. So he goes and he stays with another friend. And, and, and almost uh, immediately when he gets there, we see this detail that I think could easily be missed if we're not paying attention. Look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 18. Verse 7 says this. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Judas, a worshiper of God. And his house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. See, it's right after Paul leaves the Jews that he leaves this opposition that he actually finds a tremendous amount of ministry success. Right? He begins to see people baptized and see their families baptized. So, so God has encouraged Paul by, by bringing new believers, but, but God didn't stop there. Right? We see in verses 9 and 10 that he gave him this vision. Right? This vision that urged Paul to stay in Corinth and to stay in the fight. And then after hearing these words, Paul stays in Corinth for another 18 months teaching the word of God among them, right? And it, 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 it feels um, interesting to name over the last couple of years we've walked through the book of 1 Corinthians, right? We spent over a year in 1 Corinthians. And, um, and these, these new converts in Acts chapter 18 are likely the foundation of that church. Okay, it's, it's just a, an important thing to name. So before we get to our questions, I, I, I want to highlight just a couple of things uh, that just jumped out to me about Paul here. The first is that he didn't always experience successful ministry, right? In fact, if, if we had been with him, if, if we had been his disciples, we very well may have thought that um, a day in the life of Paul was boring, 
right? That a, a day in the life of Paul um, felt us a, a little bit of wanting. I think there would have been a lot of waiting. I think there would have been a lot of praying and a lot of watching. And honestly, there would have been a lot of mornings waking up, hoping you didn't end up in jail by the end of the day, right? The second thing that I want to point out about Paul is that um, Paul not only told his friends about Jesus, he told his friends' neighbors about Jesus, right? Where, where he goes and he stays with Titius, and then it's Titius's neighbor that, that becomes a believer, he and his family. And I think that's just a really beautiful picture of what we want to see happening in our community groups, right? Where, where, where streets and neighborhoods are, are gospel outposts where people are meeting Jesus, And the last thing I want to highlight here about Paul is that he responds to the Holy Spirit, right? He wasn't afraid to have his plans interrupted, and he wasn't afraid of being uncomfortable because Paul had a promise, right? A a promise that that was a guarantee that no one No power, no organization could stand in the way of God advancing his mission. So with all of that as context, with all of that as as kind of details uh, for our time this morning, let's let's move on to these four questions we framed up at the beginning. The, The first is, what mission has God called us to? What mission has God called us to? I I think there's a really simple answer, right, that we can point to in Matthew 28, the the Great Commission. We find Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a pretty clear call, right? Like, go. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. It's really, really simple to read and and really complex to try to put in practice. Right? And, And Paul Paul felt this. Paul felt this urge to to, to share the good news. Look at verse 5 of chapter 18. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. See, Paul here is working as a tent maker. He's waiting for his friends Silas and Timothy to arrive in Corinth so they can continue their mission trip. And in the midst of his waiting, he can't help but share the good news of the gospel. Right? And this is the same good news that the people on our streets need to hear. The the same good news that the students in our schools need to hear the the same good news that the men and women working at the desks next to us during the week need to hear, right? That there's a a reason that they feel broken, that there's a reason that they feel bent, that there's a reason that they feel unsatisfied with what the world has to offer, 
that, that they're not alone in desiring a wholeness that they can't quite put their finger on, and that there is hope and restoration available to them. The, the people in our lives need to hear that Jesus, the man, lived the life that we could never live. Sinless, perfect. They need to hear that, that Jesus, the Son of God, died the death that we deserved, right, as a consequence for our sin. And, and they need to hear the truth that he didn't stay dead, that he rose out of the grave, conquering sin and death forever, so that now if your faith and hope are in Jesus, be assured that the pain and the sorrow and the death that you're experiencing now are temporary. Be assured that the places that we feel broken and bent and unsatisfied will be made new at the second coming of Jesus. See, that is the good news that Paul was sharing with the men and women of Corinth while he waited for his friends to join him so they could continue their mission trip. Right, and it's the same good news that he's called us to share. Our mission is, is to hold up the beauty of the gospel. And like I said last week, to show the gospel in our words and in our deeds so that disciples might be multiplied. So why does it feel so hard? Why does it feel so hard, right? Why, why does it sometimes feel like burning lungs and aching calves and, and, and directionless hiking, right? Why, why does it sometimes feel like we can't even make it to the false summit, let alone the real one? Well, there are lots of reasons, but I want to highlight a couple. The first is that our city is broken, our city is broken. Paul experienced the brokenness of Corinth and, and as he experienced all of this opposition, right? The, the text says that they not only opposed him, they reviled him. And I looked up that word in the Oxford Dictionary and it said uh, to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. We read this last week, but Matthew 5.11 actually uses the same word. And Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you. See, Paul was hated by the Jews. They, they thought that they had it all figured out. And his words of truth were actually offensive to him. So that's the city of Corinth. But what about the city of Yukon? What about the city of Bethany? What about the city of Mustang or El Reno? Well, our city here is broken too, right? We live in a city that is largely over-churched and under-gospeled, right? And, and, and we might not be met by abusive insults, but I think it says something about our city that um, often if I ask somebody if they're a follower of Jesus, they, re they respond by saying, of course, I go to so-and-such church, right? As if their church attendance were somehow synonymous with the gospel, right? Where, where the gospel is tied to church affiliation, 
where the gospel is tied to, to fact articulation or where the gospel is tied to family of origin, it's not the gospel at all, right? It's just religion. But it's not just hard because our city is broken. It's also hard because we have a real enemy who knows where we are vulnerable. Right, where, where God wants to see disciples multiplied, the enemy actually wants to see disciples subtracted. Right, in, in 1941, C.S. Lewis published a set of fictional letters from a character he named Screwtape, who is a, 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 a senior demon writing letters to his protege, his, his apprentice named Wormwood. Um, who is also his nephew. And these letters explore the, the battle of good and evil and how the enemy can prey on our weaknesses. And I think it's helpful uh, for us to hear a, a portion of Screwtape's letter to his young pupil. It says this, But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you can separate the man from the enemy. Remember here that this is coming from the perspective of a demon. So when it says enemy, he's actually speaking about God, right? To, to separate the man from God. It does not matter how small the sins, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing, Murder is no better than cards, if cards will do the trick. Indeed, the safest way to hell is the gradual one, the, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. See, the enemy wants to distract us. He, he wants to take away our hope he knows where we are vulnerable, and he wants to make it harder to accomplish God's mission. But here's the good news, church. It's actually in the hard where we're shaped. Right? Just as, just as iron has to go into a hot furnace, right? Or, or that lump of clay has to be pressed and formed into the image in the, in the artist's mind, right? God is, is actually using the hard in our lives to strengthen our faith, to, to increase our resolve and, and, and to build us up. So that brings us to our third question. Who is sustaining us along the way. Look back at Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. The Holy Spirit offers so much comfort to Paul in this moment. Right? He, he says, hey, fear not. Go on, I'm, I'm with you. 
you will be safe. No one will harm you. The Holy Spirit also offers in this moment some like really um, thoughtful and strategic leadership to Paul. When he says, hey, I have many who are in this city, so go on speaking. Go on talking. Do not be silent. Right? So where Paul might have been discouraged, where Paul might have actually packed up his things and left Corinth, he actually stayed for another 18 months being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Right? The, the, the same Holy Spirit who lives and breathes and moves among us today. The same Holy Spirit that led us to plant this church in Yukon, Oklahoma, a city that is over-churched and under-gospeled. Right? The, the, the same Holy Spirit who we are begging to show up and do deep, profound work in us this week as we fast and we gather and we pray and we worship and we listen. The, the same Holy Spirit who's been doing miraculous physical healings through our brothers and sisters at Frontline Shawnee. And so we ask him, Holy Spirit, give us your heart for this city. Holy Spirit, show us what to do and what to say. Holy Spirit, raise up evangelists in our midst. Holy Spirit, give us pictures and visions so that your church might be strengthened and lifted up. Because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can effectively execute the mission that God has called us to. And that leads us to our final question this morning. How do we respond in adversity? We started out with what is our mission? We went to why is it hard? Who is sustaining us? And how do we respond to adversity? Well, we see in Acts chapter 18 and, and countless other examples throughout the New Testament that we will experience adversity as we strive to live on mission. Right? And, and, and our adversity may actually look different than it does in Scripture. Right? We're probably not walking around with a threat of being stoned. Right? We're probably not walking around with the threat of being hauled off to jail, but we very well may feel utterly isolated in all of our efforts. Right? We, we very well may feel like we are throwing seeds into a parking lot where, where they never grow and they never take root. Right? And we very well may experience the disappointment of, of flinging open our doors to the world only to find out that no one wants to come inside. And, and whether you think of it as, as uh, adversity or apathy, we, we might be so distracted by the comforts of our current situation that we don't even see the missional needs around us. So what do we do in response to those adverse times? I've got four things 
The first is that we pray. We pray. And, And not only does the Holy Spirit respond to our prayers, he actually wants to see the darkness around us made light. Right? He, he wants to see the single mom on your block come into your house with her kids and have dinner, have a family meal with you. He, he wants to see you bring breakfast and coffee to your friend who can't seem to get themselves out the front door. He, he wants to see those who have spent their life in church but never experienced the transformative power of the gospel come to faith. So when we experience adversity, And for that matter, when we experience success, we pray. We pray. And the next thing is that we listen. We listen. We want to have moments in in our weeks, in our days, in our years, where we're still and quiet and undistracted so that we might hear from God, both individually and corporately as a church. Right? We want to set aside times that we can gather and we can listen. Right? And, and one of those times starts tomorrow. Right? As, we, as we take our week of prayer and fasting really seriously, um, it's on weeks like this that we can posture ourselves to sit and listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. And, and God doesn't, he doesn't require us to fast He doesn't require us to to gather outside of our normal rhythms, but we have these moments set aside periodically throughout our year as as kind of a, a moment that primes the pump for us to hear from him. So this week as we gather during that noon hour and on Wednesday night at our Ash Wednesday service, we want to bring to the Lord the places where we're feeling opposition the places where we're feeling adversity and we can expect him to meet us, to lead us, and to teach us. So we pray, we listen, and we rehearse the gospel to ourselves. When we're in the face of adversity, we rehearse the gospel to ourselves because we must remind ourselves that the work of Jesus on the cross is final and finished. Right? That, that nothing surprises Jesus. That, 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 that God is not anxious. That God is not worried about the darkness around us. And, and through the cross, he, he's already encountered the adversity in our path. And he has emerged victorious. Right? So when we are reviled, when we are ignored, when when we fail to speak, or when we're overcome with just indifference, we can sit and know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that brings us to our final point this morning. When we experience adversity, when when we're on that mountain and we're looking up and we're looking down and we're trying to figure out what way is the right path, when we're not sure if we can go on but we don't have the courage to stop, when when we're overwhelmed uh, at the thought of even reaching a false summit, let alone the actual summit, we rest 
we rest knowing that the work is already done. That, that Jesus has already climbed this mountain and, and, and knowing that, that God doesn't require anything from us to advance his kingdom here. We, we rest knowing that even in the hard, he is glorified. So, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you can rest easy knowing that he is keeping you, that he's protecting you, and that he is leading you toward his mission. Would you pray with me?